The Army is using the new blended retirement system to make it easier for soldiers to save for their futures. That system has trade-offs, though, compared to the previous retirement plan. And the brass worry it could lead to difficulties retaining mid-career officers. Federal News Network's Scott Mossioni spoke with Beth Ash, senior economist at the RAND Corporation, about some new findings. We at RAND supported analysis um, for all four services to do some a look at and doing some predictions of what might happen to retention and cost under the blended retirement system. And when we did the first assessment, it was done under a tight timeline, so we couldn't fine-tune our analysis. And in particular, we weren't able, for the case of the Army, to separate the Army Guard from the Army Reserve. It, we just looked at the reserve component in, in total. And so the Army was uh, interested in having us decompose that because obviously they manage the Guard and Reserve differently, and they wanted to understand the effects in particular on the Army Reserve. So before we get into that, do you mind just doing like a brief, what is blended retirement for the listeners so that they can kind of keep their head wrapped around it? The blended retirement is a, uh, just what it says, a blended system. And what's blended is two types of uh, retirement plans. The first is what those in, in the, you know, in that, in the pension world call a defined benefit plan, which is what the legacy program, the, the benefits defined by a formula. Um, and in this case, it's based on uh, years of service and pay. So, um, and a multiplier. So what the blended retirement system is took the legacy program, which had a multiplier of 2.5% and reduced that to 2%. So it made that somewhat less generous. But then it added an additional system, which is what's known as a a defined contribution plan. And it's called that because the contribution is defined and you you know what you're going to contribute or you you can define what you're going to contribute and what you actually get at the end depends on how you contribute, the time pattern of contributions and how the money grows over time. And so they added an earlier vested defined contribution. So the, 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 the traditional system was vested after 20 years, but defined contribution known as the thrift savings plan is vested much earlier at three years of service. So it's an earlier vested system of defined contribution. And then there's a third component, um, which is called continuation pay. And continuation pay is, is included because the, the first two pieces weren't sufficient to sustain retention relative to retention under the baseline. And in particular, there was a realization that compensation had to increase in some way. And so a new component called continuation pay was introduced. It's a, um, a, conti- a pay that's offered between eight and years of, uh, 12 years of service. Like any kind of bonus, it's often it requires a service obligation and it's a, a multiplier um, times monthly basic pay. So let's get into some of your key findings. You know, it, it looks like that it's in pretty good shape, but there are some caveats as to how they want to need to, to go forward with this, right? So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you found in your study? So in the, in the it's like, you know, the devil's in the details. So right. when the legislation was passed um, by Congress, Congress mandated that that continuation pay multiplier had to be a minimum of, of 2.5. In other words, at a minimum, a member would get two and a half times their monthly basic pay if they took it between eight and 12 years, whenever it was offered. Um, and that 2.5 was actually derived from research 
um, that showed that that, pay, that multiplier would be good enough to sustain retention for the enlisted force. And now when I say good enough, it's all else held equal. So we're not looking at what would, you know, if the unemployment rate changed or, you know, the Army changed its, you know, up or out policy. It was there to say, keep everything constant and we would need a 2.5 multiplier for the enlisted force to sustain retention. Well, what we find, and we found this in our original work, and we find it again in the case of the Army, um, is that for officers, 2.5 is not high enough to sustain retention. And so the caveat is that there could be retention problems that crop up for the officer corps, and it might not be immediate, because this is something paid out, you know, as far as 12 years of service. The people who are opting in probably won't reach 12 years of service for a while. Those people who are coming in because they were new entrants after BRS um, started, you know, they're not, you know, they're under an obligation, so they're not really making retention decisions. So it's a retention problem that's waiting to happen. What were sort of the the responses from these officers as to why 2.5 wasn't enough? I mean, did it, did it go into or did you talk about family issues or, you know, why they felt that that was just not financially viable for them? There's a number of reasons why 2.5 is high enough, um, and it's related to the reduction in that defined benefit multiplier. Remember, under the legacy system, it's two and a half times, you know, 2.5 percent times years of service times basic pay, right? And they right. reduced that to 2.5 percent down to two. So there was this reduction. So officers have a higher today under the, the legacy system have a higher chance of making it to 20 years. They have higher retention than enlisted across the force. And so in a sense, they have a higher probability of realizing that reduction. So if, yes. as a result, you need higher continuation pay to, in a sense, offset that reduction. The other piece is that officers have higher basic pay. They're paid more. And so not only do they have higher probability of experiencing that reduction, but the reduction is actually worth more because they get paid more and the reduction is a multiplier of of pay. And there's also issues related to um, how officers who are more educated evaluate future dollars, trade off future dollars for current dollars. They tend to be more forward looking and so in a sense a reduction matters more, if you will, than for enlisted who tend to be more current oriented, today oriented. So you have a a couple of recommendations as to how they should go about this. And it's almost like a matrix the way you have this, I guess, you know, like if, if you're doing it short term, then you should do this. If it's long term, you should do this. So so how, how do you kind of have that broken out? Our thinking is that, you know, this is a new system, obviously, and we're making predictions about something that hasn't happened yet. So there is a certain amount of, you know, you can kind of understand a wait and see. Let's see how it all, you know, falls out. So that suggests that maybe you want to deal with problems more in the long-term sense and just see what happens in the short term. So if if that's the case, it would make sense to keep the officer multiplier, the 2.5, see what happens, and then adjust it later. Although typically when you adjust things at the last minute, they tend to be more costly and more difficult. But nonetheless, you can kind of understand that logic. The alternative is to recognize that this problem is you know, one waiting to happen, and so to deal with it now, to raise um, the continuation play multiplier for officers so they can anticipate that higher pay um, now. And do you have any sort of model that might 
point to how much retention degradation there might be because of this system? We do have models of, um, of both officer and enlisted retention for each service for both the active and the reserve component in the case of the Army, both for the Guard and for the um, U.S. Army Reserve. Um, and these models are models of, of how people make decisions to stay or leave the military, um, recognizing that, you know, other factors, not just monetary factors, play a role, and that people are making these decisions under uncertainty. They can't, they don't have a crystal ball to read the future, but as information unfolds over their career and they know more, they might, they can update their decision making. And then, so we have this, like, kind of theoretical model, if you will, and then we have a tremendous amount of data on individual members, in this case soldiers um, and officers, and we start them off at day one and we can track them over a 20 more or more years. So, for example, we can track them from 1990 all the way to 2018, so 28 years, and we can see people making stay-leave decisions, people leaving, they leave, they might join the reserves, and we observe that in the data. And we then estimate these models using this very detailed individual-level data. And so our retention model is uh, you know, grounded in empirical methods and, of course, in the data. Beth Ash, senior economist at the RAND Corporation, speaking with Federal News Network's Scott Mossioni. Check out Scott's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. All I want for Christmas is a DWI. Yeah, said no one ever. Impaired driving kills the holiday spirit. Drive sober, drive smart. Extra enforcement now on Minnesota roads. A message from the Minnesota Department of Public Safety. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.